Blog Talk Radio. Language pathologist, and thank you so much for joining me for Teach Me to Talk the podcast. Today, we are talking about a really important topic, and it's how to make your words matter when we're working with toddlers with language delays. Now, today, we're going to kind of take a global look at this for kids with both receptive and expressive delays. And if you're a parent, and those are new terms for you, let me just go ahead and define that. Receptive language is how children understand what you're saying to them so it's kind of like the input (laughs) so are they getting what you are putting in so can they follow directions can they do things that you ask them to do can they point to body parts when you say where's your nose show me your feet Um, will they uh, pick up what you say in conversation so if you say hey I think it's time to take a bath do they hear the word bath and then know that they should hightail it to the bathroom So that's receptive language. Expressive language is just what it sounds like. It's how children express themselves. Now, naturally, we think about talking here, but it also means the nonverbal communication strategies that we all use, pointing, any kind of pulling or gesturing, or even something like clapping when we express excitement. So some body action, some gesture that we do that conveys meaning to someone else, that would also be included in expressive language. And even children who use things like sign language and picture systems or a speech-generating device, those also fall under the realm of expressive language. So today we're going to be talking about how we talk to kids with both of those kinds of delays. And if you're a therapist, we certainly studied lots of theories in grad school about language development, but sometimes that doesn't always compute or relate to how we really talk to kids and are we really applying the theory that we learn so that's what this show is about today and again let me just say this is from my book teach me to talk the therapy manual that I wrote several years ago that therapist every time I do a live event and I I still get emails about this book and we we sell a lot of these books (laughs) who say hey this is my one tool as an EI speech-language pathologist or an early intervention developmental therapist or even an OT, somebody who's working with children with communication delays, I get so much good feedback about this book because it lists every single milestone in both the receptive language and the expressive language category. And it lists the goal there, and it tells you what activities have been most successful for me in my practice as a pediatric speech-language pathologist. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. So I just wanted to let you know that this information, we're going to summarize it today, but it's actually a whole chapter. It's Chapter 3 of Teach Me to Talk, um, the therapy manual. So if you like this information and you want to read more, get it. <laughs> That's where uh, this is from. So we're going to be talking about these tips. So how can we speak to each child that we're working with, whether we're a therapist or as a parent, our own little late talker at home, how do we talk to them in a way that will really facilitate his or her language development? And again, these tips are pretty general. And some children we know have more difficulty learning language than others. Some children have really significant delays. And then some children are pretty mild. But these tips run the gamut. And then we're just going to talk about five ways to be more effective and make our words matter as we talk to children with language delays. And again, 
they apply to all children so that that are having difficulty learning to understand or use language. So let's just run through these. So number one, the number one thing that we can do to increase our effectiveness when we are talking with a child who's having trouble learning language is to demonstrate communicative affect. So what is communicative affect? That's how emotional we are. How do our facial expressions match what we are saying to a child? So this means if you are excited and amped up that your face looks like that. This means that if you are pretending or even if you are in real life <laughs> mad or angry, that your face matches that. And so, again, we want to give children nonverbal ways to help them understand the words that we're saying. A big part of being uh, thinking about your communicative affect, too, is just making yourself interesting and making yourself worth looking at. So why is this important? Because lots of children, particularly toddlers, with receptive language delays, meaning that they're not understanding or linking meaning yet with the words that they're hearing, anytime a child has a social language delay or a social delay, meaning that he does not interact very well with other people, he doesn't respond to his name consistently, he doesn't, uh, again, like uh, we talked about earlier, follow directions, he's just not with you. It takes a long, long time to get his attention. Every single one of those children in that are toddlers 99% of them, let's just say that because there's always an exception, also have delays in comprehension or learning to understand what language means or what words mean. And so for these kinds of kids in particular, we have to really, really up our affect. So we have to do things that make us worth looking at and make us... <laughs> appear on their radars because otherwise so many times these kids are pretty internally directed. So they are processing sensory input that's coming into their little bodies and that's so engulfing to them that they can't process your words too and your language too. And so many of these children have visual strengths, meaning that if you look fun, <laughs> there's more of a chance that they'll tune into what you're saying to them or trying to say to them because then they'll notice that you sound fun. So for them, they are more, uh, I like to think about it and how, how I describe this to parents is they're visually dominant. So you have to do something visual before they can even start to turn in or tune in to what you are saying auditorily or what your words are. So I hope that makes sense to you. So demonstrate communicative affect. So basically when I talk to parents about this, I say, you've got to look happier. You know, your voice, you're sounding pretty good, but, boy, your face doesn't really match what your voice is saying. So you've got to amp it up a little bit. And as, of, as I say all the time on this show and when I do live events and in my writings, you know, that means ratchet it up a notch. So if you are normally kind of a four or five on a scale of ten when you're talking, you know, which most of us as adults would be because we don't want to sound over the top when we're talking to other adults. But with kids, you've really, really got to ramp that up and be excited and be totally into what you're doing and, again, make your face and your body uh, language match what your words are saying too. All right, so that's tip number one. You demonstrate communicative affect. Number two, how can we be more effective when we talk with children with language delays? 
this is off, this really could be one A with communicative affect, and this could be one B, but it's number two. But it's just just as important is we have to model simplified language, and this is so important for therapists because. A lot of times when we're working with a child and working with a family, adults really haven't changed how they speak to their child. They talk to them just like they would another adult. And this is good for overall language development because we do want children to hear adult standard models. And in typically developing children, this is certainly not as much of an issue for them. But any time we have a child with an expressive or especially a receptive language delay, we know that we have to change how we talk to them because they're not learning language as expected. Otherwise, how would they have qualified for therapy? So we know that we have to change what we are doing to make it easier for them to learn what words mean and then eventually be able to use words. So this simplified model just means for toddlers that we don't talk in paragraphs. I would never talk to a kid in therapy at this fast rate that I normally use when I'm on the show or speaking in general. I'm an upbeat person most of the time. And so I would never do that because it's too hard for them. They can't process all these words. And so we want to bring that down and use shorter phrases. When we're really, really teaching a new word, teaching a new concept, we want to use lots of single words. We also want to just kind of piggybacks with communicative affect. We want to use sound effects and words that sound super silly and interesting and fun and playful with children with language delays too. And again, we're thinking about here our, our kids who have difficulty with comprehension or those receptive language delays. They are not able to pull those words out and again link meaning, meaning that when that you say the word book, they don't necessarily automatically associate that with the cardboard backed uh pages that are assembled together that we know as a book. They're not blinking that. So we have to do a lot of really focused and direct modeling that's simplified so that children do begin to make those associations and do begin to understand when she says book, oh, that means this. When she says car, it's that toy on the floor with four wheels, but it's also what we go outside and get into when we're driving to the store or daycare or grandma's house. So think about that. Think about how important it is that we do model or say or talk to a child using simplified versions versus adult models. So we have to be super, super deliberate about that. And lots of times parents who are naturally and instinctively good with children know that. They're slowing down. They are not... Over-talking, which lots of us are kind of guilty of, especially if we have these high-octane personalities. So you have to, again, really, really coach a parent through that if you're a therapist and they're struggling with that. Now, if you're a therapist and struggle with this, if you are a bit of a chatty patty yourself, which, let's face it, that's most of us who are speech-language pathologists are naturally drawn to words. That's why we picked this uh, profession so we may have to really think about that as well. Now, sometimes therapists will say, or a parent, well, I don't have to modify any 
thing that I say to this child because she understands everything. But here's the kicker. Even when we have children in speech therapy services or who are late talkers but understand fine, there's still a disconnect going on. There's still some kind of issue. And if we are just talking to them in long sentences, if we are just saying things like, hey, do you want this chocolate chip cookie that I just brought you, they're going to have a hard time picking out the word cookie from all that you've said. And even if they understand that whole phrase, that whole sentence, rather, you are asking them if they would like a cookie, and the correct responses, again, would be yes, no, or to say something to indicate a request, like cookie. They can't pick it out of that, so they don't know what to imitate. And even if they know how to answer the question yes or no, they st- or by even nodding their little heads, they still may not be able to produce the word cookie, which hence causes the language delay. So if we are still talking with those children in long, long sentences, that's too uh, not to their advantage because they don't know how to pull that single word out for them to begin to talk and speak and use words to express what they want. So this modified simplified language approach that we're using is beneficial for all toddlers that have receptive and expressive language delays. All right, tip number three, and this is a really, really important one too. Effective clinicians also establish lots of verbal routines during sessions, and we help parents get verbal routines going at home. So what is a verbal routine? A verbal routine is any time you say the same words at the same time in the same way. So it's something that's expected. So think about, as parents, think about little things that you say all day long. So you may, every, every morning when you pick up your baby, from their crib, you may say the same little things, you know, hi, sunshine, or ooh, good morning, mommy's here, those things. Those things are are verbal routines. Those are original verbal routines. And we also all use lots of things that are established that all of us recognize, things like ready, set, go, or one, two, three. Those kinds of things are verbal routines. And even little songs and even repetitive books And uh, children's shows are all based on verbal routines, meaning that a character says the same thing at the same time in the same way every time before they uh, do something. But let's like a Dora and Diego, if they're talking about the backpack or the map, or just think about any little children's show where they, where the characters have a little catchphrase. So that's what we're talking about here. Now those kinds of things are so catchy for young children. They like hearing those things. They recognize those little phrases. They come to anticipate those phrases. And once those little phrases, again, that you've used them over and over and over so that they become expected, children are much more likely to understand what you're trying to convey with those words. And secondly, they're able to begin to fill in those words and really, really predict and participate what you're going to say. So super things happen when we purposefully decide to implement verbal routines and and when we get really, really consistent with using those kinds of things. So I have a whole list of the ones that I use in Teach Me to Talk the Therapy Manual. There's seven or eight there. And, again, so effective. Let me just share one with you. I, if you've watched any of my DVDs or taken any of my courses and seen video clips 
of therapy sessions, you'll know that I keep lots of my toys in clear Ziploc bags. There are several reasons for that, but one of them <laughs> that we can talk about today would be that it's so easy to implement a verbal routine with this because, again, you're doing this, you know, if you're playing with 10 different toys or activities during an hour there, and 10 might be overstating it for some children, but for lots of kids, they have super short attention spans, so we're going to move pretty quickly. And so we may have, you know, 8, 10, a dozen different activities that we're doing they get the opportunity to repeat that little verbal routine to begin and end the activity the same way every single time. So can you see how that would really, really increase your predictability with all of that repetition? So with those bags, you know, we'll pick what activity that we want to play. I usually give a, two choices there, hold up two different bags and say something like, you know, will we play choo-choos or babies? Or even with snacks, do we want fish or candy and so we're always giving that choice and we're holding it up so children have that visual presentation and then once they've selected whether it be with a word or a sign or a picture or even uh, gosh eye gaze <laughs> a gesture whatever we're using there we still then can launch into what our verbal routine is for this which would be you know I present the bag to them or I do it if it's really early in um when I'm meeting a child and they haven't quite learned the routine yet, or if it's a child with limited motor control, I'm doing lots of this, but you know, present the bag and then those two and a half gallon bags are pretty large, especially uh, when we're looking at comparing them to like a sandwich size bag. And so there's a zipper on the top, and I love that opportunity too for children to really hone those pincer grasps that are so necessary for manipulating. Uh, clothing items as they're learning to get dressed or even learning to use toys and use their little index fingers for pointing. So super, super way to really uh, work on and target those that little fine motor skill too that does become communicative, especially when we're looking at pointing and gesturing. So with zipping, you know, we're going to zip that bag or unzip that bag and we're saying zip and then I hold the bag closed and wait until if they can say it I'm waiting for them to say open or if not I'm modeling open and again with that increased or heightened communicative affect with a real bright looking face and bright happy sounding word there and then um, we open the bag and move on so lots and lots of little routines that you can do like that anytime we knock on say a little if we're playing with a little house or a little barn or even just something like a door in a book, maybe a flat book, or a real door, a cabinet door, or the door at home, saying things like knock, 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 who's there, and open those little things. Certainly we talked about the established verbal routines, but things like ready, set, go, and one, two, three, any little routine like that. And, again, if you want to get some more specifics with that, you can find those and Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual. All right, so let's move on to tip number four. As adults, to be effective when we're speaking with children with receptive and expressive language delays, one thing we need to learn how to do is give a child cues or prompts or help them, especially when they do not understand what we are saying. So remember kids with receptive language delays don't always follow directions. And just for reference, kids should be following simple, familiar, everyday directions by 15 to 18 months. And so we have a two-year-old who can't do things like 
go get your shoes or bring me your cup or where's the ball or let's go find daddy, if they're not following those kinds of routine commands by 18 months, we know that there's a receptive language or a comprehension component too. And again, you may think, you may look at a child and say, well, he he doesn't look like anything's wrong with him. He doesn't look like he's having difficulty understanding language. But the proof is always in his actions. And so if he does not or cannot follow directions consistently like that, whether you like it or not, the truth is there's a receptive language component. And so when we are talking with these children and working with these children in therapy sessions or in everyday life, we have to really, really have a way that we consistently address those receptive language needs. So when I did my DVD, Teach Me to Listen and Obey 1 and 2, when I did that set, um, gosh, nearly 10 years ago, I came up with a tagline called Tell Him, Show Him, Help Him. And this really, really encompasses the different kinds of cueing strategies that are really easy for parents to understand. And certainly as professionals, you'll recognize how effective these cues are. But again, without organizing them in a way that parents understand it, they may forget. So the whole Tell Him, Show Him, Help Him really, really describes what we're doing with children with receptive language delays. So telling them, that's a verbal cue. That's when we when we say what the request is that we're issuing to a child. So it could be something like, give me your cup. So we're telling them. And so what, then a child doesn't give us the cup. Then we move on to show him. So that would be that we give him a cue or a gesture, something he can see. We're showing him what we're talking about. So the cue here for give me the cup might be pointing to the cup. The cue here might be holding out your hand, which symbolizes the give me part, meaning, hey, I want you to give that to me. This is, this is, I'm going to show you where to put it. <laughs> so your hand is out. And that's how most children and most babies learn those give me commands at the very beginning. Your hand is out. They understand that you want them to put something in it. And so you've pointed to the cup, and that helps them understand, oh, she wants me to give her pick up that cup and put it in her hand. So that's the show me part. So what do you do still then if a kid doesn't follow that request? Tell him, show him, help him. So the last part of that is the physical assistance. That's where you're reaching down and you're taking that child's little hand and helping him do whatever it is that you've asked him to do. So in the case of give me the cup, you have one hand open to receive the cup, but with your other hand, you are putting it on the child's hand as you're saying, give me the cup, and you're taking that cup and placing it in your hand. And so when we get super, super skilled at cueing a child like that to follow directions during the day, so during everyday routines, we are doing a lot to help that child learn to link meaning with words and learn to understand what words mean. And again, it does not have to be a big, drawn-out production where you are just way overreacting when you're helping a child with hand-over-hand assistance. And I've seen a ton of parents and therapists screw this up royally so that we just literally tick a kid off every time we're helping them with physical assistance. Now, sometimes that works to our benefit because kids get sick and tired of us putting their hands on them, and so they start to look like, well, let me do it myself before she grabs me. Some kids run away because you've really turned them off with how 
intrusive your hand over hand assistance is so make it a little more pleasant and and make it just natural and part of what you're doing and again so many parents are skilled at this you know we help kids all day long we shove their shoes in little uh, we shove their little feet in their shoes when they can't reach something we get it for them or we you know, help them lean a little bit and get it. You know, we we just do this kind of physical assistance all day long. But somehow when we think about that we're helping them understand language or helping them complete a, request, a therapy activity, man, we go so over the top that we turn them off. So be sure you're not doing that. Be purposeful about it, but at the same time, don't make it so negative so that a child starts to really, really resist and tune you out and not want to do what you're doing. And lots of times that does happen in sessions, too, where a therapist is just too heavy-handed with that technique. And and I'm talking about physically and emotionally when they're trying to help a kid do it and you make such a big production out of it that they begin to avoid you like the plague. So don't do that. You know, you just fit it in and use it as naturally as you can. But the tell him, show him, help him is so effective with helping children with receptive language and comprehension problems uh, because they do start to really understand what you're asking them to do. We certainly can use tell him, show him, help him, this model, with children with expressive delays as well because this is how we teach signs. And so we're giving them the showing part. We're showing them how to sign. And then if a child does not begin to imitate our sign language, we certainly provide that physical assistance in the helping part and and teach him how to do the sign with that hand-over-hand assistance. So think about tell him, show him, help him, and how you can work those kinds of cues in to help children understand language and certainly as your kids that are using alternative communication systems like sign language, like a picture system, we have to do hand-over-hand assistance with them as well. So think about we cue them in the least restrictive or however you want to think about it, the least amount of help with the telling part, you know, sh- uh, show me. If you're working on a sign, say, for cracker, you're ready to feed a child a cracker during snack time, during therapy, or even if you're a mom at home and you're doing some sign language with him and you know that that's the bridge to help him learn how to talk and you're, you're getting him to sign cracker, you'll have to say, you know, oh, I have crackers here. You have to tell me cracker. And telling for that child may not mean talking yet, so he has to sign it. So that's the telling part. If he doesn't do it with your verbal cue, then you model the sign. So you would model the sign for cracker. And in case you're wondering what that is, you'll bend one of your arms so that your elbow is prominent. And then you tap on your elbow with the knuckles from your other hand. So you're tapping your elbow there. That's the sign for cracker. And so you're doing the showing part. So you're saying, oh, cracker, cracker. And again, you're signing it. So that's the showing part. And then help him. If he doesn't start to perform the sign on his own, you reach over and help him do the sign. So that again, that model is effective, or that cueing strategy is effective for kids even with just expressive language delays. All right, our last tip here for helping children understand and use language Effective professionals are persistent and repetitive when we model language. Now, we talked about this a little bit when we were up talking about verbal routines. And remember, one of the reasons that verbal routines work is that kids hear it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. (laughs) So repetitiveness. And then they begin to, as I said earlier, anticipate what that word is. So they've learned it. And then finally, they are able to begin to say that with you. But they have to have lots and lots of 
opportunities to hear your words before they are able to say those words. And again, we know that that is true for children with language delays. Otherwise, they would have already been talking. They would have already been following directions. Uh, there's some, again, little disconnect there. And so the more exposure we can give them where they're listening and hearing what we're saying, the more likely it is that they are to understand it and then be able to produce that word or say that on their own. So I know I've talked about this recommendation a few weeks ago on the show because someone emailed me about it, so I know I wrote about it or talked about it, but I've written about it too. It's from Dr. Caroline Bowen. Her website is speech-language-therapy.com. She's from Australia, and her her website is not as – it's – easier, I think, for professionals to navigate, or the last time I looked. She might have redone it since then. But it's a website of super, super guidelines for therapists, and lots of research there to back up these strategies. And one of the things she talks about is recasting. And she says that in order for a child to learn a new word, he has to say that word you you have to he has to hear that word or you have to say that word twelve to eighteen times before we can anticipate or expect a child to be able to say that back to us. So I, that was kind of wordy when I said it. Let me just restate that here. Her, she calls this recasting, and so she says the adult should say the target, whatever word it is you're trying to get the kid to say or understand. 12 to 18 times so that we know that we have provided enough input or enough of a language model for him to have heard it and linked meaning with it and then be able to say it back to us. And certainly we know that there are children who will take dozens or maybe even hundreds of times before they will be able to understand what a new word means or certainly say that word back to us. So we have to be really, really careful and really deliberately model what word we're trying to get a kid to say. Now, if you're a therapist, you are probably pretty experienced at videoing yourself or videoing a child in a session so that you can go back and watch it. But I I want you to encourage you when you're looking at that video, don't only just pay attention to what the child is doing and his responses. Think about yourself. So look at yourself. Keep some data on yourself. Are you deliberately modeling words often enough? If the keyword is ball, you would keep data as you were watching yourself and just count how many times did I model ball. A lot of times we don't get to that 12th or 18th model at all in an activity. We may say it a few times and then start with, what is this? Or what do you want? Tell me what you want. You have to say it without continuing to provide the verbal model. And children with both receptive and expressive language delays need that model. They need it. (laughs) They cannot come up with that word on their own or to say it or understand what you mean without that really focused repetition. So think about that. And also think about your wait time here, too. Waiting is so important when we are helping a child learn to follow directions and understand what words mean. Also super important 
when working with a late toddler, that we give them time to process what we've said and for them to have time to generate in their little brains, in their own little minds, what their action or response should be, whether that be a gesture or a sign or a word, and then time to produce it. And so remember there's something going on with our little uh, late talker systems that prevent them from popping that word out or responding or following that direction as quickly as we would like because they're not doing that during everyday routines. And again, that's what this whole language delay is about. So we have to give them time. So that wait time is super, super important. Sometimes, though, we wait too long before we jump back in with the model and before, or before we're prompting or cueing them again and help moving on to the show-in part or the help-in part. We just wait and wait and wait, and then we lose a kid's interest. I always think, oh, you know, he's gone. <laughs> Where'd he go? And we gave them too much time. Their little minds wandered off to something else and they found something else more interesting to do. So balance your wait time there. Don't just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. Wait about, oh, sometimes I think I do that whole protracted counting to 10 because my issue is not waiting too long. My issue is jumping in too soon and not giving enough wait time. So be sure that you are doing that as well too so that we're really, really getting that just right balance with that wait time and what we want to do there. All right, so let's just review. What are the five strategies that we are going to use to make ourselves more effective and make our words matter when we are talking with two young children with language delays? And boy, my computer is going slow to get back up to number one. The number one thing that we were going to do just from memory is use communicative affect. And so again, that's our heightened affect. And again, I'm saying affect, A-F-F-E-C-T. So if that's a new word for you. So uh, just those facial expressions. We want to make our words match our language. So that was tip number one. Do you remember what tip number two was? We have to really model and really use simplified language. So we don't want to talk in paragraphs or sentences. We want to bring it down to short phrases and single words to help children not only learn to understand and comprehend what we're saying to them, but then we're giving them exactly what they should be able to say. And we know that late talkers can't pop those little phrases and sentences out just yet. We need to boil that back down to single words. And so for them to be able to imitate our single words, we have to say single words. So instead of saying, you have to tell mommy that you want the ball, we just model ball, 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 so that they understand that that's what we want them to imitate. Third tip here, we use verbal routines, meaning that we think about what we're saying to kids and as many little catchy phrases as we can interject, whether it be with little songs or little phrases that we talked about, like ready, set, go, or one, two, three, jump, or up, 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 wee, any of those little fun things that we say, or even if we're... If when they're eating snacks, if we do a mm-mm good, that's a great one. That's a great verbal routine. And we think about those those phrases and we plan those and we say them over and over and over because, again, it helps the kid learn to understand what that little phrase means and associate it with the action that you're doing and then be able to say that and join in when we're doing it. So that was tip number three. The fourth strategy that we're using here and again, it ties in so nicely with verbal routines. 
Oh, my goodness, I'm having computer problems. I'm so sorry. The fourth strategy that we're doing here, again, was cueing and modeling effectively. So remember we did tell him, show him, help him, and we talked about that a lot. But as a therapist, you need to think about that little phrase as you're helping parents, especially with children with receptive language delays, when we're helping them learn to understand and follow directions. That tell him, show him, help him is a super, super effective way to help kids learn how to uh, understand more words and really get that comprehension piece revved up. And we know that kids have to understand words before they can really use those words communicatively. We know we've all worked with children as therapists who can say words who are echolalic, but they have not begun to demonstrate that they understand what those words mean. And parents really have a hard time with that because they think if a kid can say it, it automatically means that he understands it. And with a subset of children, those kids who may go on to be or will probably be diagnosed with autism, uh, once we begin to see the chronic nature of their issues here, really, really do uh, have a hard time with that. So we have to help parents understand that that receptive language piece is missing. And, and by doing that, we have to give them some way to address it and fix it. And certainly tell them, show them, help them is a great cueing model to use for us in therapy as well as parents when they're helping children do what they ask them to do all day long. And our last tip here is just to keep going, be persistent, be repetitive when you're modeling language with children. Don't think you can just say a new word one or two times and a child understand what it means or be able to say that word after you. You know, that's the the crux of the problem. <laughs> children need more language input. They need strategies that are not what their parents have been doing at home. And again, we know that we have to change some things with children with late talk who were late talkers. Otherwise, if we just keep doing the same things over and over and over, they're not going to make any progress because we haven't decidedly altered what they're hearing. And so be sure that you are concentrating on that as therapists and as professionals with what am I doing to make this easier for this child? What am I doing to help him really, really learn to listen to other people and learn what those words mean so that he can complete a request? What am I doing to pull to make my language easier for this child to process so that he can begin to imitate some of the words that I've said. And a lot of times it's just that we're doing a lot of the right things. We're just not doing it often enough. So we have to really increase the frequency that we are modeling a target word or a new word that we want a child to say and that we keep going. And if we don't give up, if a kid doesn't say it after we've tried it, three or four times, we move on to something else because that's frustrating too for you to say the word 32, try to cue him to say the word 32 times. We certainly aren't, you know, as we're working with him and he's so mad and frustrated that he just walks away or pitches a royal fit because we've <laughs> stayed on something too long. Let's kind of talk about this because I feel like I, if I end the show right here, I'm going to leave you hanging. Anytime we are using cueing or withholding or Anytime we want a kid to imitate a word, we model that word three to five times, then what do we do? We go ahead and give it to them, even if they don't say it, even if we haven't gotten exactly the response we want, we give it to them, and then we 
play with a toy, eat the snack, whatever it is you're doing, and then you start over and you do the next three to five times, and then you give it to them or eat the snack or whatever, do the activity, and then you cue the same word again. So I'm not saying that you cue the word again, you know, 60 times before the kid gets the object that he's asking for. I am not saying that at all. I'm saying that the child has to use that. So let's say that your target word here is choo-choo or train. And so you're playing with the trains and you're going to have him do some requesting at the beginning, but then you also count the number of times that you say the word train as you're playing. So he's you've modeled it, let's say, all the way to the fifth time so that he's gotten the train from you with the word or the sign or, or you've just given it to him because he hasn't requested it but you know that you want to keep him into that activity but then as he's playing you say "Ooh, your train cool train oh push it make train go go train go that's four or five times that you've modeled that so you would count those models as well when you're looking at that guideline. Remember, Dr. Bowman's guideline was 12 to 18 times when you're recasting. So anytime you're saying that target word, even when it's not in the context of cueing his verbal response, you're still counting that. And that's still what I mean by being persistent and repetitive with modeling. That kid is hearing that target word over and over and over and over in the context of playing and in the context of, uh, again, of you're not asking him to say it that many times, but he's hearing that. And so I hope that clarifies a little bit what I mean by that, if that was, if that directive or that recommendation with being persistent is a little bit confusing to you. That's what I mean, that you're just counting the number of times that you as the adult would say or model the word for the child, even without asking him to say that word back to you. So hopefully that's made that a little clearer. All right, so that's it. Those were our five tips for talking to toddlers with language delays. If you want to get more information about this material, you can check that out. It's Chapter 3 in Teach Me to Talk, the Therapy Manual. If you're on my email list, you have a super sneaky coupon code that I'm just going to go ahead and give out here. So get on the email list if you don't already have it. But Anytime at teachmetotalk.com you're buying a product, use the code SAVE15 to save 15%. And, again, that's for email subscribers, so go subscribe because there are even better sales in email uh, than you'll ever find listed on the site. So to do that, you'll just go to teachmetotalk.com, look at the green banner there, and then sign up. I send out emails every day because I think this stuff is super important, and it helps us as professionals and therapists stay motivated to help our little uh, late-talking friends or children uh, get the language they need so that they can learn how to understand what words mean. All right, that's it for today. It's a great show. Thanks for joining me. And